Welcome to Empire. I'm your host, Gabby Boudreaux, co-founder of Divine Elements. Thanks for joining us today. We have an amazing man back on the show today, and he has a lot to say about terpenes uh, and the effect that they have on the endocannabinoid system. He earned his PhD from UCLA in, in 2009 in the lab of Dr. Yibin Wong, where he studied the signal transduction cascades linking heart stress to heart failure. In 2012, he joined the faculty at the University of New England, where he combined the threads of his training into a research program focused on the signal transduction cascades of the opioid, cannabinoid, and other brain-relevant receptors, mostly in the context of pain. He joined the faculty of the University of Arizona in 2015, where he continues his work today. Recently, his research program has focused on the effects of terpene compounds found in cannabis sativa. In a recent paper published in the journal Scientific Reports, his lab found that alpha-humulene, beta-pinene, linalool, and geraniol produce cannabinoid-like effects in mice. This work recently secured funding from the National Institutes of Health to investigate terpenes as a non opioid non-cannabinoid treatment for chronic pain with reduced side effects. He is the Chief Science Officer for Divine Elements CBD and my friend, Dr. John Stryker. It is a pleasure to have you back on Hempire. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Gabby. It's good to be back. It's going to be hard to live up to that introduction, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, no, I, I fully have full belief in you. So um, every time we speak about terpenes or anything involving like cannabinoid medicine or the endocannabinoid system, my mind is just blown. And I, I was just talking to my husband last night about it, and I had him um, listen to, to your episode. And he, same thing. I mean, his mind was just blown. He, we're so excited about the research that's coming out. So um, I'm excited to have you on Me today. Too. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on today and to talk a little bit more um, about terpenes or terps for short and um, because they're so, so popular right now and for good reason. Um, So last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about terpenes, um, but let's just get a little refresher. What exactly are terpenes or terps for short and what are the main ways uh, that people are usually exposed to these beautiful aromas? Yeah, absolutely. So Uh, So terpenes are small chemicals that are found in cannabis sativa and not just cannabis sativa. Basically, all plants have some form of terpene. And so when you smell like that piney smell of a pine tree, you smell the lemony scent of a lemon, you know, orange, uh, dogwood, jasmine, lavender, all of these things, this scent and this aroma and flavor, a lot of times are coming from these terpene compounds. So there's these small little molecules. There's a lot of them. Cannabis alone, they've identified more than 100 of these guys. And, uh, and overall, there are hundreds. I don't even know the total number that have ever been described. But they're, they're present in different mixes in cannabis and other plants. And so for a long time, people just sort of thought of them as, uh, I don't know what you'd say, just sort of like just part of the, the scenery, part of the background, right? Like an aesthetic thing, but, but not of great interest pharmacologically or medically. Uh, that changed. I'm not sure exactly when these really started to be tested. Maybe, maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago is when I, most of the literature has been produced, where people started asking the question, could these things be actually having some sort of medicinal effect? And so people have been testing various forms of the terpenes now culminating in some of our work to see if they actually do have pharmacological effects. And various ones have been identified. So relieving pain, anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety, sedative, and so on. And it's not just scientists that have been playing around with these compounds either, because essential oils are 
very terpene heavy oil extracts of plants. And so people will like mess around with, with like lavender essential oil, for instance, which is very heavy linalool concentration. And, and people have effects from this. So they tend to find uh, like a lavender extract very relaxing. And wouldn't you know, linalool was very sedating when we injected into the mice and others have, have found this as well. So, so people, you know, just everyday people have been exposed to these chemicals as well in a concentrated form through essential oils and maybe through other types of extracts too, depending on what you get up to. Right. So essential oils are extremely heavy in terpene uh, content. And so, um, like you said, they're, they're found in many plant botanicals, most plants on earth. Um, so you have most likely been exposed to them uh, through one way or the other, but probably through essential. Um, so they, they can be really helpful. Um, and so that's why this research is really exciting that you guys are doing, because we need to understand more about the mechanisms of, you know, these compounds. And um, so it's really exciting that you guys are doing this. And so you guys just published, um, or not just published, but recently published a research yeah. paper in the journal Scientific Report and it's called Cannabis Sativa Terpenes are Cannabimimetic and Selectively Enhanced Cannabinoid Activity. So this is the only research paper so far, I believe, that conceptually supports um, the entourage effect hypothesis, correct? Uh, yeah, basically. So there's so um, there have been a few, to be very fair, there have been a few papers that have suggested no entourage effect, but literally only a few, like two really, that, that kind of fit the bill. And, and they were using really, really specific outcomes in cell culture, whereas we're using whole animals with stuff eject. But there's limitations to our study too, right? So like the most, the strictest form of the entourage effect would be if you consume the plant with minimal or no alterations and those components mixed together give you something different from either alone. That's the strictest form. Now we didn't do that. We like took purified terpenes, we injected them, we combined them with purified and injected cannabinoids and kind of saw what the effects were. So, you know, it kind of depends upon your definitions and what you want to do, but I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of hedging because <laughs> no, yeah. this is a very controversial topic and I don't want to get out ahead of my skis, right? Because there's a lot of skepticism about this. And, uh, but yeah, we're basically the, the first paper I know of to really sort of suggest that you can combine cannabinoids and, and terpenes and get some sort of enhanced effect over either alone. Right, right. And it, I mean, yeah, it is controversial, uh, controversial to a certain degree. And um, like you said, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And that's why this research is in uh, research like what you guys are doing is so important. And uh, in my opinion, I feel like you guys gathered some really groundbreaking data. And I'm sure many people would agree with me, um, you know, on terpenes and, and their behavioral effect in mice and um, what you guys found supports the entourage effect hypothesis. It doesn't prove it to exist, but it supports right. it, which is really exciting because you know like i said there's just such a growing amount of anecdotal evidence um to support the entourage effect as well so there's definitely something going on beneath the surface um in our endocannabinoid system that we don't quite fully understand yet but um we're we're beginning to thanks to the kind of research that you guys are doing but so like you said there's a caveat to this kind of research though because the fact that cannabis is a, a schedule one quote unquote drug, um, you guys aren't able to use real non-synthetic cannabinoids when conducting the studies, right? Yeah, we didn't for this study. So some researchers do, I do not have my schedule one license, uh, but the good news is, is there are a lot of synthetic cannabinoids that are not scheduled and are available for as research tools. Now, of course it would have been better to have THC. And honestly, we need to do that here at some point. I, I've been kind of 
kind of aimlessly waiting on the federal government to get its act together and, right. and at least move it down a few schedule notches that would make it much easier for me but eventually i'll probably have to bite the bullet and, and get the schedule one thing and test this with thc so the, the the thing that i did use is a compound called win 55212 which is a synthetic uh cannabinoid that activates both cpu receptors okay yeah so you guys are trying to put the science behind the opioid um, sparing effects of cannabis, which is wonderful. And there's just so much anecdotal evidence to support it. And we believe people when they say, you know, that they, when they use cannabis, they are able to function. And if they don't have it, you know, they're in a great deal of pain. Um, I, I can think of five, maybe close to 10 people right now uh, off the top of my head who comes to us for CBD and they would, they, they would be in a great deal of pain if they did not have access to THC or CBD and would most likely be on opioids yeah. instead. So due to the limitation on research because of federal scheduling of cannabis, is that frustrating to you at all? And do, how do you think the, the result? Yeah, I bet. How do you think the results would may change when you are able to use real, um, real cannabinoids right. in your research? I feel like they probably wouldn't change that much because, you know, we, we went to a lot of trouble to show that the terpenes have these effects on their own that are cannabimimetic. We, we use cell culture models to show that they activate the cannabinoid receptors. And, and then you, we combine them with the synthetic cannabinoid in vivo and we, in animals, and we got an enhanced effect. I mean, that it, it's like, it's very logical. It all fits together. I don't think there's any great leaps of logic. So y yes, there could be some difference when using THC or, you know, maybe one of the other minor cannabinoids, right? Like that might be fun, like CBG and CBA and all the rest of them. Right. Um, but, um, uh, but I don't think there would be much of a difference, at least in the simple testing that we're doing. Cool. So hopefully you guys will be able to get your hands on some real THC yeah. soon and put that to the test. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I believe that there probably won't be too much of a difference. And you guys found some really great results um, just to, uh, begin with. So I, I think it can only really get better, um, which is yeah, really cool. And now we, <laughs> as you mentioned, we, this was funded. So I literally got the notice of award from the, the National Institutes of Health yesterday. So we, we now have the money coming in. We're now a five years of support to pursue this, this line of research. Oh and so that is, is really exciting and provides us a nice base to work from to, to figure some of these things out. We already actually have a lot of data. So we've looked at this for in chronic pain. We found great efficacy in treating a chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy. And, um, and you mentioned opioid sparing. So we have some preliminary data that when you combine a low dose of terpene with a low dose of, of, uh, of opioid, you get a better pain relieving effect than either one alone. And so we're really chasing down those details and we'll have a lot of support to do it. That's so exciting. I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so thrilled. I can't Thank wait you. for this, for this research to get underway or to continue, you know, and, um, and to see what you guys come up with because it's just so needed. And, um, it's just really, really exciting for people who really want to dig into the science of it and who really want to validate, you know, uh, what they're doing, um, to better their health. So it's really cool. Um, and like you said, for chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy, uh, opioids are not that effective. Is that right? That is right. So and some people, when some people, they, sorry, I don't I just briefly interject. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but when some people get this too, it's permanent. Like, so, so something like 30% of patients that undergo chemotherapy will have some kind of neuropathy from that treatment. And I don't, I can't remember the percentages, but a certain number of those will have it for the rest of their lives. And it's very hard to treat. Yeah, it's horrible. It's in, you know, like, just from a compassionate standpoint, uh, 
and my personal experience with cancer, my little brother had cancer and I saw many children go through, um, you know, in the hospital and they undergoing chemotherapy and radiation and the quality of life was just horrible. I mean, it's the last thing you want to see a child go through or an adult, but, you know, especially a kid, it's just horrible. And, you know, they're, they get the same side effects. They, they experience neuropathy and um, there's nothing really available right now for patients who are going through that and who, you know, want natural relief. So this kind of research is just, it's so important. I can't say it enough how important it is. And so, like you said, you know, the opioids are, are not really effective for the, the uh, neuropathy and it could be, um, you know, it could last in your entire lifetime, like you're saying yeah. after, after the treatment. So the terpenes showed though efficacy comparable to, um, to morphine in the study uh, without, yeah, without adverse effects, which is incredible and without a uh, reward behavioral side effects also, which means that they're not addictive, right? At least in animals. Should be. I mean, formally, we haven't proven that yet, but it's a very strong indication. Yeah, which is wonderful. And so I want to know, like, how do you see, how do you, what would be an ideal representation of um, terpenes, how terpenes can be put into action to yeah. provide pain relief for peripheral neuropathy? Yeah. So I've been thinking, well, and for, I don't think it's, limited to peripheral neuropathy either. That's just what we've tested it in so far for chronic pain. So we're going to test all that stuff going forward. But there's, uh, so there's several different ways I've thought about this, right? And first of all, there's a really good political social benefit that we have working with terpenes versus sort of working with opioids or cannabinoids. So when we, sh- when we have some data to show that this might be useful and we want to go do a clinical trial and test it in patients, we don't have to go through this long FDA approval process that a new drug would take, which can take up to 10 years, sometimes even longer, um, to get a new drug approved. So this, these, are, these have been known for a long time. The closest analog I can call them would be something like a food additive, is kind of would be the closest analog. They're, they're, they have this designation by the FDA called generally regarded as safe. And so we can take terpenes directly into a clinical trial without having to go through this huge long approval process. And so our results can be translated very quickly. And their terpenes are not schedule one, you know, they're not a, a cannabinoid, they're, they're on their own. And like I said, they're in all plants actually. So we could even, if we wanted to get fussy about it, we could even like extract it from some other plant right. and, and say, this is what we're testing, not, not the dreaded cannabis. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so there's these benefits to working with these, we can translate it quickly. And then in terms of what that's going to look like. So we're, we've done some, so we're, we're test, that's part of the testing we're doing going forward. So the two most likely ways that a patient's going to want to take this thing is they're want to eat it, or they're going to want to inhale it. Not like like inhale a liquid, but like maybe aroma or in, in you know inhalation of vapor, or you know um, uh, what's the word vaporization with like a, a cartridge type format, right? With like a vape pen or something like that. And there are terp heavy extracts that are prepared for that. So this is already kind of out there, really heavy terp heavy terp stuff. Some of my students have even tried them. I need to try them at some point. Right. I'm very curious to see what yeah. it looks like. And so we're testing these in the animals to see if they also have this efficacy in treating pain. So so far we've done some. Uh, some oral administration. They definitely, it definitely needs a higher dose than when we inject it, of course. Some has always lost that way, but we can see that it's starting to have an effect. So we, we're pretty sure we can get it through the oral and we're now getting the equipment that we need to do the inhalation testing in animals. So you can't just do any old, you can't like hold up a vape pen to, right. the, to the mouse. You got to have a, some equipment for it. So we're getting that yeah. equipment now to test that. 
And, and so I think there's a, and once we get some data behind it, I think there's a, a variety of ways that someone could try it. And, and kind of where I really see this going down the road, ideally, if you can really get it all dialed in, is you build a profile for what you want. It's not just any old thing you, or any sort of random terp extract. You have a profile you want. I want, you know, this much alpha humulene or this much geraniol is my current favorite. I want like this much geraniol mixed with this much linalool or whatever, which will give the overall best effect. Or I combine this much geraniol with an opioid, you know, because some people's pain is going to be severe enough that maybe the terpene won't do the, won't do the trick, but you combine it with the opioid, it can be opioid sparing. And so we'll kind of work all that out. And then someone can have this defined blend that they take and maybe by oral, maybe by inhalation route. Um, I don't think none of this, I think is going to have to be injected. I think we're going to be able to give it in a convenient way. Good, good. That's really exciting. Um, so, uh, extracts right now, it seems like what would be the most, um, accessible and probably, um, effective for people who are, uh, experiencing chronic pain. And like you said, there are, uh, heavy terp, uh, concentrated extracts and five to 10% terpenes. And so yeah. that would be something that maybe someone would try right now until we have more research and, um, more products available that would help with chronic pain. Yeah. So, um, I certainly don't think that would hurt someone to try an extract like that, but I do have a problem with the kind of the general extract label for something like a terpene blend. Because as we're looking at what the terpenes, we're finding that each one has specific properties. They're not interchangeable. Some are better than others, and a certain mix is going to be better than others. But any extract, any chemical extract, unless the Q, the quality control is really high, tends to have a lot of randomness and variation between different preparations, between different batches, between different facilities that do the extraction, between different companies that sell it. And so, you know, the, the one you buy on a Tuesday and the one you buy on a Thursday from the same place might be very different in terms of their actual chemical properties. Oh, so absolutely. what I would want to see is that is that the companies that make this stuff are following some research and using the proper QC to make sure that you're actually getting like the right terpene or the right blend or whatever, whatever we figure out is best. That's right. Yeah. And especially when you're looking for CBD products and cannabis products too, but CBD is, it's not regulated at all. Cannabis is, is more yeah. regulated through the Department of Health, but um, CBD, you want to be really careful when you're sourcing your CBD products and really do your due diligence and look for the certificates of analysis. Um, look for the terpene profiles in the products. If you're interested, you know, specifically in specific terpenes, um, look for, you know, unwanted contaminants. You, you want to make sure that you're getting a quality product. Um, like you said, John, because it's just there's so much variability and just the cbd industry is not regulated so you really have to be careful when you're looking for something that's going to better your health and or you're expecting to better your health and make sure you're getting a good product um and so we're working with you on our cream um for pain relief our relief cream and um we are you know taking the findings in your research and we're tweaking the terpene profiles and we're upping the tripping content and we're we're coming up with a really great formula um and we're really excited to re-release it but the the uh, current cream we have right now is also really good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, topical may be something that um, will be more prominent in the future, but it seems like ingestible is probably the way to go for pain relief. Um, but a lot of people don't really like ingesting stuff. You know, some people right. don't like putting oil on their tongue or they don't want to smoke something. So topical can be a good option. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see um, just more of the research that comes out with the terpenes um, and yeah. their efficacy. And so um, we can better our cream as well. But um, if you guys want to try our cream, um, we have a code for you also. If you go to mydivineelements.com, you can try our cream for 20% off with the code wellness20. Um, 
um, if you guys are interested in trying a CBD topical that is heavy in terpene content uh, for, for chronic pain relief. So um, we're really excited about that. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the cannabinoid receptors because, I mean, this all has to do with cannabinoid receptors in the, the endocannabinoid system and um, the effects that uh, the terpenes and the uh, cannabinoid compounds have on the receptors. So um, CB1 and CB2 activation from terpenes and cannabinoids uh, cannabinoids when used together does seem to create a synergistic effect, um, if you will, uh, which your research supports, um, which is awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about these receptors. CB1 is one of the main targets of cannabinoids like THC. Mm -hmm. um, and then I believe you mentioned that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but CB1 is one of the highest expressed receptors in our brains. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. And it's kind of found everywhere. Is that right? Yeah, just about. So it's funny that we don't really know about that. <laughs> and we know about, you know, all of our, you know, serotonin and dopamine receptors and um, it, which is really great also. And, you know, they play their roles, but can you just uh, give us a little bit more information uh, about cannabinoid receptors, especially CB1 in the brain and how important it is? Yeah, absolutely. So part of the reason for that, the, the, that relative lack of focus or knowledge about this, despite the fact that it is pretty important in your brain, is like it kind of took science a while to catch up with the cannabinoids. They're harder to study. And the reason for that is that they're not a kind of a classical neurotransmitter system. So a classical system, you've got your, your synapse, you have your neuron on one side, the other neuron on the other side with that little gap in the middle. And the neurotransmitter like serotonin, like norepinephrine, dopamine, et cetera, is, gets packaged into these little bubbles that are in the synapse. And then those bubbles get released and they release the neurotransmitter into the synapse. And so it's very easy to study that. You can see those bubbles on a microscope. It's very easy to analyze chemically and sort of, you know, it it's makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, it just kind of conceptually makes a lot of sense. And so these were some of the earliest parts of the brain that were discovered in terms of neurotransmission and how your brain communicates with itself. And so a lot of the focus is stayed there. So in contrast, the cannabinoids are lipids. They're, they're like fatty acid, like lipids, like oil, not oil exactly, but like an oil. And oils, like they, they don't like to stay where they're supposed to, like packed into a tight little bubble. They will freely cross membranes. And so the cannabinoids aren't packed into, the, the endocannabinoids are not packed into little vesicles. They just, they can freely go wherever they want. And chemically, they're very unstable. They don't last very long. So it was kind of just took a lot more time to like find these chemicals, identify them, and then tie them to the different receptors. And even now, it's hard to study them. They're not released in these little bursts that, that are controlled by the neuron, like at, by a vesicle releasing. They're just sort of always being produced and always kind of diffusing. Because again, these are lipids. You can't contain them. They just kind of go where they're going to go. And so it's not a classic neurotransmission system. It's, it's more like a long-term modulation. So you sort of have this constant tone of cannabinoid that's being produced, that's activating these cannabinoid receptors to produce modulation of your, of very, a lot of different things in your brain. And then, you know, maybe the enzymes that produce these lipids, they get upregulated over a couple hours. And then now the tone goes a little bit higher for a few hours, a few days, and then it comes down a little bit. So it's just this kind of long-term modulatory process rather than like a short-term acute release a release, suck it back, release, suck it back, like the, like it is with the classic neurotransmitters. And I think for that reason, it's kind of just taken more time to discover the system and figure out what it's doing, despite the fact that it is pretty darn important. 
Yeah. So it's from, from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like the, um, the endocannabinoids are not very predictable in the way they behave and that they are produced, um, kind of on demand, would you say? Kind of, but they're always being produced to some level. And then, and then, and then when it goes up or when it goes down, it's kind of like this kind of like a slow wave rather than these short little bursts of like serotonin or whatever. Right. So completely different from a classical, um, neurotransmitter system. Yeah. And And they're not the only ones like this. So there are actually a number of receptor systems like this in your brain that are still do sort of the slow modulation rather than the the classic neurotransmitter bursting. And it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense to to me, the way you explain it, that if it acts kind of like a modulator system um, and the endocannabinoid system is, is considered as uh, promoting homeostasis, that it, it, if something's out of balance or out of whack, it'll it'll work to uh, correct that balance and, and bring your levels back to where they should be. And um, so it makes a lot of sense that if you would feel, you know, let's just take anxiety for an example, if somebody feels anxious or if they're having a panic attack and some hormone, you know, cortisol is shooting through the roof um, and they take CBD or something that they're wanting to help, um, you know, with the anxiety and mitigate the effects of that, that, you know, it would help. It it makes sense to me that because of the balancing action of the endocannabinoids and the effect that they have, um, that it, it really would help. So it makes sense. And, you know, again, it just goes to further, uh, support the anecdotal evidence of, um, CBD as, um, a use for, you know, um, mood imbalances and things like that. So that's really cool. And it it makes sense with whatever your practical experience with taking cannabinoids or smoking marijuana, however you've done it. I mean, I have, right. So I think we all have. Yeah, everyone. So like the experience is not like most um, drugs that you take, right? So like uh, cocaine would be, I mean, cocaine is a stimulant and this is more of a depressant, but still, Cocaine works through the dopamine system and it causes your your system to be sort of flooded with this transmitter dopamine. So it's just like hyper on and it's kind of constrained, right? So it's to, you know, your reward system and, and a few other areas where dopamine is concentrated, but your, your cannabinoids are everywhere. So, you know, st- it's modulating stress, anxiety, memory, right? Memory loss and other mm-hmm. issues with, so uh, uh, hunger and satiety and like your, your drive to eat. So all these different things that, that cannabinoids are involved in. And then secondly, it's like, like, even if you take a lot of, of cannabinoid, like way more than you should, uh, first of all, it's almost impossible to overdose on this stuff, at least not through any practical means. And so there's that. And then second of all, usually the the effect isn't super huge. Like if you, if you take too much cocaine, you're like, things are going to get bad for you. If you take too much marijuana kind of sucks but you know it's not the worst thing you can just kind of wait it out so and that's again because this is not a a, a, you know like a power on power off like bursting system like dopamine is it's more of this long-term kind of modulatory sort of thing so i think that also drives the 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 subjective experience you get from from taking the drug Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, it seems like, um, I mean, in general, people have, you know, very similar experiences, but uh, in my experience with CBD and with, um, you know, the customers that come to us and use our products that CBD and cannabis can be very, very individualized depending on your own chemical makeup. Um, so it, you know, it it's best to always smart. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's best to really start to start low. Um, but like you're saying, it's you can't really take too much of it, you know. You can't um, overdose on it. You, you can't. Yeah, you can't overdose. <laughs> too yeah, much can, is not fun. But. Yeah, too much is not fun. But yeah, you can't really OD on it. So um, it's yeah, and you won't. I mean, especially with CBD, you won't really get high from it unless you're super duper no. sensitive to. So CBD doesn't work through this system that we've been talking about. We actually okay. not quite sure what CBD works through, but it's not through the the CB1 receptor in your brain that we've been talking about. So there's still a lot left to uncover about the endocannabinoid system and, and how different cannabinoids work. Yeah, in the body. And because like I said, it's so hard to figure out these, these lipids because they're so unstable and kind of hard to identify. Uh, we don't even know if we've identified all of them. So yeah. we've identified five, six, something like that. So you have like, you know, an anandamide, uh, 2-AG, uh, virotamine, some other ones. But um, we don't even know if we have them all. And we're not even 100% sure we have the, all the receptors. Right. So a lot of people think now the GPR 55 is sort of a third endocannabinoid receptor and there could be others. Yeah. Yeah. So there's still so much left to uncover uh, about the endocannabinoid system and the way, um, you know, endocannabinoids work in the body and phytocannabinoids and um, all cannabinoid lichen. So yeah. with that being said, what do you think we might uncover about the endocannabinoid system? <laughs> well, quite a lot, I'm sure. So like, you know, a better understanding of how it modulates these different drives in your brain, right? So uh, and how, how that really works at a real fundamental neuroscience level. We might find more uh, um, endocannabinoids, more signals, um, you know, more receptors maybe. And then as you find more receptors, that makes it easier to find what other sorts of areas of the brain it might be involved in, what other things it might be regulating. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to the plant, oh my God, there's so much to figure out for the plant because really, we only really know a lot about THC. That's the only thing we really know a lot about. So CBD, we're not even 100% sure what the target is, like really not, we're still kind of figuring that out. So there's some good studies, of course, showing its benefits, but that doesn't tell you what it, like how it's working. And then there's so many others. So like I mentioned, more than hundred terpenes, right? You know, we, I studied four of them. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to go. And then uh, all the minor, all the minor cannabinoids like CBN, CBG, cannabigerol, and, and and so on. How do all, how do what, what do those all do individually? And then what do they do in combination? And then even when you know that, like one strain or one extract could have a specific blend that has some specific effect because you have some particular blend of whatever. And then you know a, a, the next plant on the next row over will have been slightly different conditions, might grow a little bit differently and have a different blend and have a different effect. So. Right. There's yeah. A lot to figure out. There's a lot to figure out and there's a lot of research to be done. And um, what you guys are doing is incredible and helping kind of pave the way, you know, for this kind of research. And so we're really, really stoked about your research paper that came out. And if you guys are interested, you know, in finding out more about terpenes and the way cannabinoids work in the body, make sure you look for um, any research that comes out from John in the future. So um, we're out of time today, but John, I'd love to thank you for uh, being on the show today. Um, it was a pleasure having you on and chatting more about the endocannabinoids system, terpenes, all the fun cannabis uh, compounds. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'd also like to thank our producers as well as Divine Element CBD for making the show possible. Join us again next week for another episode of Hempire. Thank you so much for listening. And until then, stay well, keep learning, and we'll talk to you all soon.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.